You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Vortex Optics. Oh, buddy, we got a good one today. Um, you know, I've been reading some of my uh, some of my podcast reviews, and they're just like, "Get right to it." Get, you know, we don't like the upfront BS. You know, a couple guys bitch and complain about that. We don't like to all this other stuff. We want to get right to it. We want to get right to the strategy. We want to get right to the like. I don't understand people like that. Right? It's it's. It's the BS in the foreplay that leads to the money shot. I don't know like if these are the guys that just watch money shots all day long. And I apologize if I've started off this uh, this podcast podcast completely inappropriate. I do apologize. I should have said earmuffs. But, you know, if you have a youngster in the car today, they probably don't want to know what a money shot is. And, um, but <laughs> we're talking about, in this episode, we're talking about all the things that lead up to the money shot, so to speak. I got my good buddy, Byron Horton. I almost said his name wrong. Byron Horton. And the dude is a run and gun nut. He's a whitetail nut. And uh, just like all of us, really. And today, you know, I wanted to hyper focus on one thing, but I completely forgot what that was once we started getting into the actual episode today. So here's what we talk about. We talk about what he's doing right now, between right now and the time the season starts, as far as scouting, uh, maybe trail cameras, um, you know, digital, you know, digital scouting, all that, you know, getting ready, maybe with some equipment. But then it kind of turns into a, a kind of a, a detailed strategy session where we talk about everything from access routes to how predominant wind and thermals kind of uh, collide. We talk about a variety of different uh, terrain features like flat egg ground versus big timber with lots of, you know, uh, variables in the terrain. Uh, we talk about, you know, what he's looking for as far as a buck this year. And man, I tell you what, it was a really fun episode. I like episodes like this. Because I don't like to look at my little timer that I have on the uh, on when I record, and when I when I find myself looking at the timer, I'm just like, okay, looking at the timer. But this episode, I didn't look at my timer. I just talked like I would with uh, with a buddy. And this is a, a really good episode. And listen close because you know we're we're nobody special. I'm just going to say this. We're nobody special. We're just two dudes who love to hunt deer. And I think if you listen closely to this episode and you're, maybe you've been struggling throughout the years, or maybe you've, you've thought you've been doing everything right. And there's just something missing. I bet you, you could take away a couple principles that we talk about in this episode and, uh, you know, and maybe use that in the field this upcoming season because it is right around the corner, my friends. 
Uh, you might be able to take some of these principles that you hear on these podcasts, take it into the woods with you and say, all right, it worked for this guy. Let's see if it works for me. And uh, although it won't work exactly, you have to tweak that principle to fit the, the terrain that you're hunting, to fit the how you hunt, how big your property is, all that stuff. Maybe the deer are pressured. Maybe the deer are not pressured. But uh, either way, it's an awesome, kick-ass, badass, amazing, Made in America episode. And uh, so today, uh, we got to do some commercials before we get into it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock them out real quick. So I've been using Hunt Stand for a while now. Man, it's been like March or so. You know, when I do my early season scouting, when I do my shed hunting all the way into the summertime, when I'm hanging tree stands, hanging cameras, I'm marking all that. I'm using a, a variety of different maps, whether it's satellite imagery, 3D imagery, uh, topographic line contour lines um that i all that information you can use on your um you know use to help you in your digital scouting now i was a little hesitant and i think a lot of guys are right they 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 may start off with another digital mapping service and they've collected all this data on there but then they go and they man hunt stand is really functional hunt stand is better priced hunt stand just has more uh more options for me to choose from but i don't want to lose all of my pins that i've put on other mapping uh, apps newsflash they have the ability now to import all of the pins from any other mapping service onto their uh, onto their uh, platform that's huge that is huge right so now there's really like for me there now is no excuse to jump on hunt stand full-time and be you know fully on hunt stand for a smaller price straight up man the functionality is better the price is better and now i can import all of the data from other places onto uh onto my hunt stand uh, app so take that into consideration huntstand.com is the website all the information you need to know about this app is on that website so uh go check it out hunt stand hunt stand hunt stand and what's the next one Ooh, vortex i like talking about vortex and you know why because Yes, I got a pair of binoculars that are eight, yeah, eight years old from Vortex. And though they look beat up on the outside and I've used the VIP warranty, meaning I've busted the shit out of it, I've sent it in, they fix it for free and send it back to me. It's rough on the outside, but the glass is crystal clear. And that's eight years worth of abuse, man. Uh, And when a product in a company give back like that and they make a product like that it makes me want to continue to use their products it makes me want to save up and buy the next best thing it makes me want to continue to work and support that brand now on top of all of that i've got had the opportunity to meet multiple people who work for vortex that are just incredible people who this is no joke care about one thing and that's customer satisfaction hands down they want to get the right products in your hands so that you can be successful hands down period and when you have a great product and you have great customer service um, and the company is run by people who are passionate about shooting sports and uh, hunting it's a win-win dude vortexoptics.com please go out and check out their rifle scopes red dots binoculars spotting scopes range finders they got a lot of new equipment in um in the past couple months so be sure to take a look at that uh vortexoptics.com and lastly a company that i've been working with uh, a long time and that's wasp archery wasp broadheads wasp is probably is number one a majority of their heads are made in america number two these guys put the best material the best design and engineering um, the best r&d into their broadheads because again these guys are passionate about a product because they use the product and they don't want that product to fail 
right? So we're, we're talking with some guys who are very passionate about bow hunting. They, they don't want, uh, let's just say, you hear a lot of stories about uh, mechanical broadheads failing. They don't want that to happen to them. They don't want that to happen to their end users. So the best material plus the best engineering, again, plus um, the best people, you have another really awesome uh, company that is dedicated to seeing you be successful, right? So wasparchery.com. Go check out their complete lineup of fixed blade and mechanical blade broadheads. I'm going to pop in here real quick and I'm going to click on mechanical broadheads and I want to see the jackhammer. The jackhammer. They got they got two options, the one and three quarter inch jackhammer and then they also have the one and one fourth cut jackhammer i am a huge fan of both of their uh both of the the jackhammers really doesn't matter to me which one i shoot because they both do so much damage that the deer just kind of dies real fast (laughs) Um, and even in marginal shots right you're doing a shit ton of damage now on the fixed blade side i'm a i'm a boss four blade guy till i die i've had i've seen that head do amazing amazing things with marginal shots matched with a, a heavy arrow forget about it right wasparchery.com and if you i do got a discount code for these guys nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers two zero two one and you're going to be able to save 20 percent off of your purchase that's a big deal so uh pick up a pack of wasps use the discount code and we'll go from there all right we've hoard out we've got uh the bills paid we've we're keeping the lights on now let's get into a good old-fashioned strategy talk with Byron Horton. Three, two, one. Mr. Byron Horton, how the hell are you? Dude, I am doing well. Deer season or elk season is on the horizon. Um, so it's a busy time of year. Yeah, so you're going on an elk hunt this year? Yes. Where are you going? Yeah, I'm pretty what excited state? about it. Dude, it is, it is a... Uh, we cannot disclose. We signed a, a do not tell people, at least in the masses. Uh, I'll tell you off air. But uh, after last year, people knowing what trees we were in, uh, based on the YouTube videos, I kind of keep things a little tighter to the chest this year. Oh, I don't blame you. Dude, there's pictures of deer I don't even post because if, you know, if someone wants to put in enough work to try to get in there, I mean, for the most part, all they would do is ruin it for me. They probably wouldn't kill the deer, mm-hmm. but uh, still, it's enough to, I don't know, people just find out, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. But but you're going on an elk hunt, and I've been following you on Instagram a little bit, and I, I see that uh, for a while there, you were doing your garage workouts. Are you still doing your, your garage workouts? Yeah, yeah, I still do the garage workouts. A lot more, I feel like, back hikes um or or what i've been doing for for leg centered days but yeah still in the garage and 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 pack hikes are are kind of the summer go-to right now awesome all right so i think the last time that you were on this podcast it's been a while but you didn't have a kid back then when you were on but now you have a kid right so how has life changed as far as hunting, you know, shooting your bow, checking your trail cameras, how has all of that changed now that you do have a kid? Oh, that is a good question. And actually, it's funny. I find myself re-listening to the old Wired to Hunt, like the first season or two, and I have a newfound appreciation, Dan, for, for, for that time in your life. Um, but as far as how has that changed, I would say... I definitely didn't get into timber as much in the off season as far as number of miles. I think I was down about oh twenty overall miles for my winter scouting. And I noticed if if I have a window, right? If I have the green light from the wife and, and the family, I'll be hanging trail cams coming out with a headlamp this summer. Like it's it's like if you've got the ability, you work from start till dusk. Like right. you, you know, if you've got that window, you got to capitalize on it. Um, and then I did find myself last year morning hunts. Oh, 
in the rut. I was I was actually getting up early, and the wife said, "I really need you home in the evening hours." So so I was hunting a lot of mornings, and then driving back from Kentucky, and 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 homing uh, you know by mid afternoon, so I could help with those evening hours when those kids maybe turn into gargoyles. Yeah, you know that sun goes down, they change. Yeah, that's a fact, dude. That's a fact. So. You know, you've heard you've heard me bitch about the kids, right, for several years, and I'm getting to a point now where I got a, I'm gonna have a third grader, I'm gonna have a first grader, and then I'm gonna have another kid who's gonna be in somewhat of a full time preschool routine five days a week, and what this does is it just opens up a ton of time throughout the given day that the wife isn't with the kids at all, right? She's work at home, working by herself. And now the only the only real pressure when I'm gone is they get off the school bus at 4.30ish, something like that. And uh, then she's got to feed them supper. But her my mother-in-law will be here to help while, especially, you know, when I'm, when I'm out of state or um, hitting the rut real hard. But I think it's going to be, I'm to the point now where it's, I say this knocking on wood, right? I say we're past the when will you be home type texts, you know, type of scenarios, yep. right? There's going to be a little stress, but it's going to be way less stress than previous years because there's not going to be any kids at home during the day. And I think my right. wife, my wife's going to just have this stress-free type of uh, most most of the day until the kids get off the bus. But it's going to be... I think, and that's going to allow me, and I don't know what about you, but it's going to be, it's going to allow me to focus 100% on what I'm trying to accomplish and not worry if there's all this crazy stress at home. Yeah. If you look at the bell curve of what we're entering as far as like peak kid stress at home is the bell curve, right? Like right. I'm entering the, the starting slope yep. and you're on your way down, you mm-hmm. know? You, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we are definitely... Oh, you've made it over the hump. Congratulations, right? Hopefully, <laughs> I got. I hope so. In order, <laughs> I hope so. Now it's just a, it's different types of stress, right? My my daughter the other day, mm-hmm. she's she uh, she had her her t shirt rolled up real high, and she put like this little scrunchie around it, and I, I could see her belly button. And you know, some kids are doing it, some parents are allowing it, but I'm just like, pull your shirt down. You're not showing your belly button. And she's like, well, dad, all my friends are doing it, blah, blah, blah. They do it on YouTube. And I'm just like, hey, listen, those kids don't have me as a dad and they're not my kids. So if you're going to, you know, like, I, I don't know. It, it is what it is. It's my, that's how I operate. Uh, but those are the problems now that I'm having to deal with uh, in, in my scenario. So it's almost like there's two different bell curves and they're overlapping, right? With the downfall of one comes the uptick in another. Yes. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. I, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, at least I don't have a daughter right now, but that is a whole different circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. A lot of fuss and attitude. Now, let me ask you this. How old is how old's your boy? He's just over a year. Just over a year. Okay. So are you and your wife planning on having any more kids? Yeah, sure. She she said on a higher number than I am, but I, um, we'll see. <laughs> right. Here's yeah, what I'm. Gonna, we, I'm sure we want more. Yeah, and you know, two's fine. Two is fine, but I'm going to tell you right now. And the people who say, "Oh, three's just one more kid," you know, don't worry about it. Blah blah blah. Those people are idiots. Okay, they're they're dumbasses. Um, don't have three kids if you want to. Have a little bit less stress, and, and don't get me wrong, man. I love my youngest, my youngest boy, but three is a whole new ball game, man. It is a whole new ball game. Just when one of them gets out of diapers, and you're like, "Yeah, all right, cool," then she's pregnant again, and you got to go through everything again. And it's not cute like the first two pregnancies are. You know, it's just like it's it's different, right? The third kid is just like, "Oh Jesus," the you know. He, it's not a cute little poopy in the diaper anymore. It's like, oh, just an extreme blowout all over the carpet in the house. You know what I mean? And it's uh, it's almost like, okay, we get it. You're a baby. You know, tough shit. You know, grow up, please. <laughs> okay, I will. Uh, I will. I will relay this section of the podcast to the wife. <laughs> 
Um, we'll, we'll make that happen. Okay, good, good. Anyway, so, so from that point on, uh, from, from that point, you know, and then especially when there's a little kid at home, you know, one's easy to take care of, two's harder, three's the hardest. But now, like I said, I'm coming out of that. You're getting into it. Um, but as far as this upcoming season is concerned, right, you got any, uh, any targets or returning customers uh, located on some of the properties that you hunt? So I have my summer cameras out on, on we'll call it two main pieces. Um, I have been doing some glassing in farm country. And I, I've located one for sure shooter and one tweener um, that, that I know about. Um, I'm hoping that some of the areas I, I had uh, targets in last year, like those guys return. But um, I haven't done any summer pulls to know that yet. I kind of think I'm going to wait until uh, mid-September. I might get a day late August, but... Uh, at this point, like, I don't know, no, and I didn't, uh, I didn't find any sheds to, like, a couple of those better bucks, but I, I don't traditionally find a ton of sheds. Yeah. I feel you. Um, I haven't done, other than what my cell cams are telling me, and right now they're not telling me shit, I haven't, uh, I, I haven't checked my trail cameras yet. I got, I think tomorrow on, uh, on a farm close to where I live and on some public, I'm going to go check cameras tomorrow. But other than that, it's going to probably be a week or two till I get down to my main farm and where I hunt and uh, check the cameras back then. So I won't know for uh, probably, well, tomorrow I'll know what's hanging around uh, the house here, but I won't know again until uh, probably a week or two on the main farm. When do you typically like to know like what's going on in, in a, in a certain, on a certain piece of property? as far as quality deer and what what your goal is and, and trying to chase that yeah i would say that's like one of my biggest uh, niches is finding a an area of a piece of public or a certain section of the, of the piece um generally and it's like okay this area has two shooters that's that's a higher percent than most of my other trail cams so I I like to know that information. I and I am guilty of put, pushing the panic button in the past, where it's September rolls around. And I'm like, I got a bunch of 120s, but I'm and me personally, my hit list is kind of at the 130ish mark. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, if I know in September, that's awesome. But uh, Yeah, so I'm I'm generally looking for something in the 130 mark, and I am guilty of years past almost pushing the panic button. Oh, late September, where it's like I know where a decent amount of 115, 120s are, and now if I look at oh my history and, and where I'm finding success, I honestly don't have my my list fully completed until that like October 10th, 15th, and I think some of that is. I, I, I'm getting a lot more scouting time in, so maybe my cameras are getting to better locations, or it, it, it's like I fine-tune. Maybe I start finding an area of, of, of better bucks, and I'm able to kind of key in. But I, I can't say going into season a lot of times I've got the best bead, and I just think that's a time thing. I don't oh, necessarily yeah. live live as close to my uh, the places I like to hunt. So, so just having a bead on what's going on doesn't really occur for me until about the 10. What about yourself, Dan? Dude, you, I'm gonna, do you yeah. ever find yourself pushing the panic button? Dude, all the time. In years past, right, I was like, dude, where are the mature bucks at? Especially when you got all these awesome uh, velvet pictures in the summertime, right? And then something happens like, let's say the beans – kind of lose their flavor we're getting into that late september time frame the the velvet comes off they you know they shift and then i'm just like okay all right you guys can show back up anytime now right october 1st comes around and i was talking to a guy about this the other day and i used to, I, I used to be just like you man i used to push the panic button and just like come on man where are they at but then you just kind of realize you slow down you realize they're there and they're going to start making uh, appearances here pretty soon. Uh, you just have to be patient. And some years that's that can be October fifteenth, but most years it's closer to that pre-rut time frame, like that 
that 25th, 24th, 28th even before mm-hmm. I get any mature bucks to show up on some of the properties that I hunt. So I used to push the panic button, but I kind of just calm down and, you know, just relax. They're going to make an appearance. You just have to be ready for when they do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, that's a time, a little bit, uh, oh, yeah. factor. Like I'm not burning a time or I don't, sometimes I'll drive and check cams before work. I started doing that last year and, and um, it's like, I'm a little more inclined to do that, you know, getting closer to times I can hunt. Uh, generally uh, October one through the 15, I'm not burning like two hours of PTO to get out for an afternoon hunt. I'm not, you know, as gung ho. I, I generally stack some family stuff in the early half of October as well. Um, so, so it just could be a combination of what, you know, you got going on in life right then. Yeah. And just time, time frame, you know, time in general, right? I mean, big mm-hmm. deer just aren't roaming the countryside the first week of October, especially in the Midwest, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're still on a, a, a pretty decent pattern. They're probably laying some sign down, uh, nocturnally, but they're not going bananas like they are in the, the next, you know, four weeks, uh, you know, so I don't know, man. I, I used to get real fired up about not having any deer to, to go after, but eventually they show up. And when they do, then that's when it's time to start rocking and rolling. So when, like in the, in the past, when you don't, let's say we're starting to get closer to this late October timeframe, uh, and you still don't have, let's say it's mid October and you still don't have any caliber of deer that you want to harvest whether that's a 120 130 whatever whatever you're trying to go after when do you actually start to say okay now i have to start making something happen waiting is done i just need to start making something happen yeah i would uh, rolling into to that october 20th time period if i if i don't know about a buck or have any idea that is that is not a good feeling. I, I feel like, um, it's been, it's been a couple years since I felt that now I kind of do have in the back of my head, I have a few rut areas kind of pinned as far as, okay, generally I, I believe like the, these does go hot early in November. And then this area tends to hold a good one late. Um, it, it, it's something that you almost mentally do like, you know, okay, I'm gonna have to grind out a rut probably. Right. Like it's, it's one of those that I'm going to need a little luck. I'm going to need a doe to drag him by. Um, you know, at that point, yeah, I got to play the rut game and, and play my percentages at that point. Yeah. So when it comes to bucks, right? Every, like over the years, here's what I, I want to hear your opinion on this, but over the years, if I can't locate a buck, here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to lo- locate a doe group. And I really start to focus on patterning a, a group of does and really putting my trail cameras or uh, setups in position to intercept a doe group. Because as we all know, the first doe to go into heat is going to get the first doe like that, that, that big, that mature buck, the biggest mature buck in that area is going to get that first doe period. So my question to you is, if you can't locate a buck, are you at all ever shifting your um, your attention to doe groups or like traditional doe bedding areas or like? Yeah, yeah. Like I think if you look at like my Onyx, for example, or my pins on my my map or whatever, like I've got rut pins, general rut pins, where like I know there's some doe bedding. Assuming that doe group is is not super pressured or still in there, like here's the pinch that leads into that area. That's a pretty good ambush point for let's call it a general buck in the area to end up walking within bow range of that stand. Um, yeah, I, I've got plenty of, uh, of notes as far as, um, I know, like, like I said, I've, I've literally got it down to the 13th through the 15th. There is one Ridge I've shot two bucks off of in the last 10 years where it's like, and two for 10 is pretty good in the bow hunting world as far as a specific Ridge. Um, that it gets hot and it seems to be a little later in, in November. So that's a nice kind of safety yeah. net. I know one area it's more around the first and second. So if I didn't know about a buck, November 1st rolls around and I, you need to be in the timber, November 1st, right? 
well, okay, traditionally, like I know about these couple betting areas based on the wind of the day or maybe the wind plus an observation in October, I should go to that pin based based on what I know. So, yeah, I do have setups that, that are almost educated dart throws is a decent way to describe that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So the, when it comes to, let's say, you you go through your process. Well, I t- let me just ask this. When it comes to, all right, Byron Horton is ready to take his rut vacation, right? Everybody kind of has a process that they lead into uh, a rut with, right? Some guys, their process is just to sit on a field edge and see what comes out, right? Others are mm-hmm. this crazy run and gun strategy where they're just all over the place, you know, setting up different different trees every single hunt. Why don't you break down your strategy leading into like whenever you decide to do your big push? Sure. So I, I look at probably two years ago is the, is the the best example. And and I kind of have a general approach now kind of developed out of the last four or five years. I do take some PTO there the last week of October. Um, and I have a job where it's flexible enough that I can look at that, that 10 day or seven day forecast and kind of look for a weather system coming in as far as a rain or stoppage of rain, um, maybe a a better temperature day as well. But I will generally burn three or four. Um, I like to do half days on on, on that aspect of the the later half of October, because then I can um, do like a scout your way in type hunt where stand sticks on the back. Maybe I know something, maybe I don't, but I can, I can use, you know, visual scouting as I'm going into the timber that day um, and, and find something that, that is generally hot and that time of year scrapes are popular. Um, I've killed two bucks like that late October where it's scout your way in type mission and I don't actually end up in a predetermined pin. Like, you know, I've got all these notes on my maps, but I was like, you know, based on what I'm visually seeing, this is where I need to go. And I've shot two bucks that way. Then let's kind of look at, at the rut is, is kind of your target there in November. Hopefully I've got some information of some better bucks. And honestly, I, I am a volume. Uh, I want a volume of good bucks where maybe an area has two shooters versus uh, another camera has only shown one shooter. And maybe he's not super regular. I, I, I was hunting an area last year that I had three potential shooters on and maybe a fourth that was uh, a little irregular, but he was still there twice. Um, we'll call it August through October 10th. But I had a couple other bucks that were a lot more regular. It's like, okay, that's a no brainer for me um, at that point. And I, I generally like the, the second week of November. I feel like a lot of times the first through the, Oh, eight fish. There's always a, a warm system that seems to blow in, and I'm more inclined to to hunt the we'll call it the seventh through the fifteenth. And if possible, I do like because Ohio's gun season doesn't come in. I do like that final. I save a day or two for like the week of Thanksgiving because you can burn a day plus some holiday hours around there and be in the woods a lot and maybe. Um, you know, you, with the more time you're out there, you, you can see stuff, you can stumble upon stuff. And, uh, I, I find myself a little more successful when I'm, when I'm putting in a lot more hours in a small chunk of time, um, over the course of a day's versus kind of scatter sh- uh, hunting, if you will. Yeah. So what about this? Like, have you ever have considered pushing your rut vacation even further back? Like, I see I'm I'm the same way, right? Back when I was working that cubicle life, you know, now I now I run the network and whatnot, but back when I was uh work doing that cubicle life, I just couldn't wait. I was like, dude, I got to do I got to do the first 2 weeks of uh November. And sometimes that would creep into like November 3rd is when I would start it. Uh or sometimes it was November 1st or whatever. Um, and I'm in Halloween mode right now. So hollow, the evening of Halloween is out for me just because of, mm-hmm. of kids. Yeah. So I have shit 13 years worth of trail camera data on some of the properties that I hunt and you'll see tons of deer running around 
going crazy the first seven days of November, right? Then you'll see, start seeing that more of that happening in the daylight. But what I've noticed is the, the volume of deer on trail cameras in that, let's just say 14th through the 20, 22nd. I'll just, that's a guess. 14th through Mm -hmm. the 22nd is less volume of deer, but that is when the random giants show up on the farms that I hunt. Like the, the, the 180 incher that I didn't even know was there. There's a couple of them that cruise through They're there for 18 hours on the farm looking for does. They don't find them. They're gone. They, They go back to their core range. So I always am trying to talk myself into dude, just some, some year, just wait until November 7th to start hunting. And then that way you can go, you know, to the 21st, that, that next two weeks you can go to the, all the way to the 21st and hunt, you know, cause typically I try to keep mm-hmm. it right around that two week period, um, to be gone and really focus on, on whitetails, uh, here in the rut. But I get so jacked up towards November 1st that I just start hunting November 1st. And, yeah. uh, you know, for the last six years I've gotten the job done. But six or seven, it doesn't matter. Um, I've gotten the job done, but I always want to kind of just stop some year and just let the first week happen, stay out of the woods, and then hit it hard the the next two weeks of, of November. Do you ever find yourself wanting to do something like that, or do you you get fired too fired up as well? Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I, I think I would rather have a buck down November 7th and be hunting another state than necessarily waiting around here yeah. till like the 22nd. But uh, I would say, you know, right around that November 20th time period, I have seen personally, like, um, I don't have the best encounter rate based on percentages, but uh, visual bucks from the road are like, I've almost hit two, two giant, like giants, um, two bigger bucks during that, that, that time period. Um where it's just like, man, they, they, they're just walking, you know, they're just cruising miles. I can remember one time I was going to sight in a muzzleloader for gun season, you know, it, during that time, looked out the window and here's like 20, 24 inch wide buckle. just, you know, just zombie walking. And, um, you know, I just, I, I can't convince myself to, I pocket like a day or two, but I, it's not something that I'm going to pocket like five or six days. I, I think, uh, I think I'm too eager. And look at the percentages. Isn't there like a famous quote out there that oh, 80% of Pope and Youngs are killed in the first two weeks of November? So, so I don't think we can beat ourselves up too bad for not waiting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know, man. I, I just and a lot of the times I don't know about you, but I get into I get into a, a these thought processes where I'm just overthinking it. And if typically I'm I'm to the point now where my success is coming from the process that I've put together for myself uh, throughout mm-hmm. the years. Not necessarily what anybody else is, has taught me. Yeah, I, I, I listen to what other people have to say, and, and uh, yeah, I might try to apply that to my process. But the process is what has made me successful the last handful of years. And I really, like, I'm to the point now where I just am trying to refine that. But at the same time, I want to refine that on the next level of deer every single year if that makes sense right so maybe the process needs to change Uh, as far as times can time is concerned if i want to you know potentially kill a a, a, over a 170 or or that you know that seven-year-old drunk out of his mind with horniness uh 180 that's just he's been running does for the past two weeks and now he's just he doesn't even know where he's going or what he's doing you know what i mean i i gotta try to find that buck sure yeah yeah, uh, that is true. And I got to think just through hunting over the next couple of years, you're, me and you are going to find ourselves November 20th with, with tags and be like, okay, this is the year. Maybe we try and figure it out. Right. Absolutely. So you talked about earlier the panic button, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I, I don't want – I don't I, – I can't hit that panic button yet. Does there come a time in your season where if things aren't going – 
your way, you hit a panic button, you change your strategy, maybe get ultra aggressive, any, any movement like that? When you, when you ask that question, you know, is there any point in the season, my, my, my stomach twisted a little bit with this elk trip, I'm burning a decent amount of PTO in September. And, and so I'm, I'm thinking this could be a late season push. And I, one, I don't have the most, uh, I have a zero success rate late season killing bucks with a bow. And two, I ha- haven't been hunting and scouting and actively trying to kill a buck in the last couple of years, late season. Um, I think some of my public actually gets really dry as far as just, you got, you got a lot of rabbit hunters out after, you know, kind of gun season pushes through and small game hunters and some of the habitat I hunt, I, the, the best winter cover gets kicked up way too much for, to hold a good one late in the year. And so at that point, I would probably have to abandon ship and, and look at more of my big timber type habitats. And I think, I think at that point, it's a, it's a tough game. Um, so, so when you said when I would push the panic button, if I didn't, if I didn't kill a good one by, uh, let's call it end of gun week, cause I, 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 I gun hunt a little bit. But that first gun week, I'm I'm definitely going to be pushing the panic button, knowing that, that I do have one small private farm my family owns. It's 18 acres. I I've got a I'm going to put in some winter wheat out there um, this year, specifically knowing, hey, this could be a late season push, and I need food source in a oh, it's a very timber type area of the the uh, county. It's not exactly an ag rich place, so so winter wheat is kind of what I've selected. Okay, all right, so let's talk about this terrain. Like you hunt some big woods, but you also hunt that egg, that egg mix too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say 60, 40, um, and done and killed good bucks in the last five years in both. All right. So six, 60, 40 mean like 60 big woods or 60 egg mix. Yeah. I would say 60% big woods. Um, I kind of am in love with that. I kind of like the mystique and, um, I don't know. There's a romance about, man, what's in that holler over there? Let's yeah. go find out. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, dude. That's part that, that's why I love um, talking to guys like you and others who have this same passion at us because it's like anybody can go and I don't know, not maybe not anybody, but you can all, you can go approach things the same as everybody else in a, uh, you know, like, in this timber egg mix or whatever. I personally love hunting river bottoms. If I, if I could hunt, mm-hmm. uh, let's just say, Hey Dan, you got to pick one stand that you're going to hunt in every single day for this upcoming season. But you only get a hunt it, or you only get a pick one stand. And you got to hunt that stand only. I would pick this one river bottom stand that typically doesn't hold giant deer, but I just love everything about this stand. Like I, I don't know. Like you said, there's a romance with that particular uh, type of environment, and I, I absolutely love it. But the question is, does your process change depending on the terrain that you're hunting? You know, when it comes to that that big timber versus that ag mix. Yeah, and I think. I think that's something that I've kind of, if you rewind five, six years ago when, when I was just, I, I was almost trying to do the same process, I think at both locations, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a student of the game and, and, and trying to look at guys that are hunting now, now, you know, we're blessed to have podcasts, YouTube and content that is almost specific to the habitat, you know, that you, you can find yourself in. And so I'm becoming way more okay within some of those big woods or, 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 you know, hill country, um, sitting locations or or scouting locations multiple times versus I think in the farm country, I'm a little more tiptoe and like drone strike one, one in and one out kind of hunts there. Um, even the gear I take, I think is different from big woods to, to farm country, farm country. I don't tend to hunt near as high. Um, you know, so, so, so just, I, I tend to take an extra stick when I go to the big woods and realize I got to get up there. Um, so, so, so yeah, the approach and I think the big woods, sometimes you can get away with a little more, uh, like walking around and trying to figure things out because those deer are a little more nomadic. Um, 
so versus the, the the farm country stuff you know i feel like those deer maybe on very small movement types and you mess it up they 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 might not stick around um yeah if you will so i i, I do think that's a, an evolution i do think the game is, is a little different yeah um talk to us a little bit specifically about let's let's just pick a topic here let's let's talk about access to us a, a stand location that you've identified through scouting how do you approach uh an ag mix like is access different in in that environment than it is in the big woods environment yeah um thermals alone um are something to consider and then um I feel like I get a more consistent winds in the ag country. Like it does what the weather app says a lot closer. And, um, I have found a uh, big wood stuff. I need an area of an improvement is wind scouting or taking more notes on, on what's going on. Um, an example would be two years ago. I realized I was chasing a buck and when the wind got above uh, about eight, eight to nine plus miles an hour, it just seemed to bounce way too much and almost be opposite. But when it was below seven, it was very true. And I could play thermals and hunt it um, much more effectively. In in farm country, I think the the, the route in and out is um, is a little easier sometimes from that perspective. Yeah. Now, I will say in farm country, oh... Sometimes you got to be a little more careful where you park your vehicle and where you're walking with a headlamp on, um, just based on some of the more open environments that you believe those deer to be feeding in um, as you're you're trying to ambush them, especially for morning hunts. Uh, that's something that I think about a lot more: is can I even park at that certain parking spot? You know, knowing that they could be in these two fields, they can hear a car door, they could he- see me with that light. I got to believe. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are two kind of access type thoughts that come to mind. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, especially when you're running and running and gunning, that's something that you have to be aware of, right? If you hunt a, um, you know, I got a couple tree stands, uh, that are historically good rut spots, right? Uh, they're, they're those mm-hmm. spots that I've hunted for several years. I know when to walk into them. I know if it's going to be a good morning spot, if it's going to be a better evening spot, I know how to access that stand. But when I do my running guns, dude, it's just like, I, I always find myself taking the long way around just so I, uh, you know, I, I play it a lot closer to the chest so to speak with with those run and gun access routes now when you on these access and i don't even know how to ask this question because i have a a process that i use for for my hunting strategy um, and how i access stand locations so like i access my stands to where i'm actually i actually try to walk through a shooting lane to get to the tree stand location so that when i'm set up in the tree if a deer does somehow catch my ground scent it's in a shooting lane and mm-hmm. i've already you know hopefully the goal is i'm already drawn back on that doe or that that deer and i, I can put myself into a position where there's they may be spooked but they're already dead if that makes sense there is on the way yeah, yeah. and with that said when I'm walking into that, I, I like to have the wind in my face approaching the the stand. So um, de- depending on, I, I try to, I, I call it the rule of 90, where I walk, I walk a ways and then I take a hard right or left and I'm, I walk up through a shooting lane into my, into my tree stand. Um Mm-hmm. Do you have any specific, I mean, is, is yours, uh, complicated like that or is it more relaxed? No, no, no. I think it's, it's very similar. when you talk about, oh, them catching your boots, such track as arrows released two out of the last three bucks, literally you can really see it in the snow buck film on, on, on YouTube or whatever. But like he hunches like, oh shit, I just caught a boot track. And I remember I came up this ravine, um, 
where I'd seen him cruise the military crest the day before. And I was like, I know he walks under the, or there's a down beach tree and he walks around the end there right on the crest. And when I came up, you know, based on my axis, I came up right on onto that crest and I took two to three big steps to, uh, I guess the right is what I remember to maybe give me a couple more steps before he would catch that ground. And then I went straight at the tree, if you will, um, from there. But yeah, I, I find myself in the running gun sometimes that you're like, I can leave the ground scent in a questionable-ish area, but I have to know that I've got to shoot him before he gets there. And, and yeah, the last two out of the last three bucks, I feel you can see in the video that they've either caught something or – and and someone told me who uh, – Justin Hollinsworth, um, he's he's big into – always he helps me out with addiction, but he used to run um, coon dogs back in the day. And the, the the dogs can almost even pick up the scent on uh, a, a parallel trail. They don't even have to be on the same trail you walked in on. So yeah. I am definitely very conscious of that ground scent that was final uh, all the time. But really that final 50 yards is to the tree. I, I've stopped and stared many a times, but, but it is something I really, really, really consider once I'm up there. Yeah. And I know that this next question, a lot of it depends on the terrain that you're hunting. Um, Let me ask you, when you're hunting your big woods, do you rely more on thermals or predominant wind? Like, what trumps the other? Sometimes it really just depends on the the mile per hour. Um, And like I said, uh, I'm... If I had 10 more, if I had even been four more years of experience, I think I would answer this a little different. I have just started really wind mapping my locations because I'm hearing from guys that are doing this on a higher level than myself. And that's something they've done. And, and I, I've walked around, you know, I generally scout 70 miles every off season. And I just think that's something I've, I've missed where if I had, you know, the last six, seven off seasons of notes of, oh, the wind tends to run true there, or, hey, look at this area. But when I'm predetermining where I'm going, if I don't have a wind note of, of any sort, I'll play thermals if it's somewhere five or lower, a lot more. Um, and then I, 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 once it gets up there, and, and also, too, uh, we've noticed cloudy versus sunny days um, is something to consider as well versus um, sometimes on those overcast days, uh, the, the, the thermal stay kind of sucking down the hill way longer in the morning. And sometimes they won't even lift that much, uh, depending if you're hunting bigger, uh, topography. I've, I have hunted some more bluffish country that kind of looks more like South, uh, what would that be? Southeast, Southwestern Wisconsin, yeah. where it's not true big hills, but bluffy stuff. Um, and thermals aren't as much effective as when I hunt the real big hills where it can rip up in them. Um, in Southern Ohio. So that, that question I'm still learning on, I, I feel, and I, I that's, that's kind of what I can tell you at this point. Yeah. Sub, sub seven, sub five, I'm definitely leaning thermals way more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get into a couple of positions, um, where, you know, it, you, you can look at a, a weather, you know, forecast and you can know what the wind's going to be, but there's no, mm-hmm. like, there's no, database that says hey thermals are going to be strong today because every you know everything's different so mm-hmm. i got a couple i got a couple um places where i have two tree stands one closer to the top of the ridge and one closer to the bottom and if if it's a lighter wind then i'm going to rely on the thermals and i'm going to be up higher on that ridge but if it's windier and i'm on that that uh i guess you want to say the leeward it's the the leeward side where the wind's coming over top of me it will i'll be lower on the ridge the the main wind is kind of going over my head but the thermals are still in play a little bit not as much as they were on top but it hits that wind and it, it pushes it over now that's a risk sometimes because then uh depending on the wind speed and uh the thermals it could psych you know the the scent in those lower portions just get cycled through like a washing machine 
and oh, where it's just sitting there churning. Yeah, s- sitting there churning and rotating. So something potentially on the other side of the ridge, or on the lower elevation side, where okay, so the wind's coming over your head. Um, it hits your thermals. It's carrying your scent away. You know anything, anything down downwind of you on the same side of the ridge as you is um, probably pretty safe because your thermals, but over time that scent creeps back down and it just gets cycled through. And, and typically what I see when I see that and I start, let's just say I start getting busted or um, deer are a little bit more keen to what I'm doing is in that late morning time frame when the, the, I don't know, the morning coolness is gone, finally gone Mm -hmm. and it cycles through. And then it starts sucking out the bottom of whatever, you know, whatever that terrain, that big, the low point of the terrain feature, which is usually like a creek or a drainage or something like that. So I don't know. And a lot of that just comes with experience. And yeah, do you, do you find yourself and I can think of a a hill country spot. This is a good question for you. Or I'm sorry, farm country. Those, Oh, those back systems, if you will, maybe the, 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 the field or the wood lot is not close to the road, but maybe it's, I find stuff that's like a little bit lower than a lot of the main ag fields. Sometimes those wind, those locations, the wind is, is almost trickier than some of my farm country stuff. It has more of a washer type effect. And honestly, I find deer there. I, I, yeah. I they, they're, they're almost, oh, I can think of a doe group that busted my sister and I on a hunt couple years back that i look at that that system that field is a little lower than everything else as far as like the roads and and anything in that area it kind of dumps down there is there is some creek stuff going on there as well and i swear that wind just gets in there and like you said does a washing machine effect you yeah you you hunt those on low wind days or do you just chalk it up as that's a that's a very tough place on well you think about it when it comes to wind they're all very tough <laughs> like you, you you honestly don't know what the wind is is doing but in a scenario like that i try to get higher in a tree um mm. try to get higher and just hope that it it catches the top layer of air and just goes right it doesn't get sucked back mm-hmm. into that that wash um but i've also seen where if I get too far in the timber in a scenario like that and you're in that low spot. So you carry, uh, what's that? That little fuzz thing, the milkweed, the milkweed stuff or some synthetic thing. Have you ever dropped it in an area and it just sits there and floats at the same level? Like it doesn't go and specifically on a low wind day, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't go away. It just kind of sits yeah. there and hangs. Mm-hmm. So, so one thing that I've noticed is in certain certain areas like that, there's layers. The cool low temperatures is meeting the the warmer higher temperatures, and it's creating a tide effect. And I I, I sat in this pinch point for years. I got trail camera pictures of deer just cruising through there in all types of day. So I said I need to be in there right and so i'm dropping this milkweed or this these little synthetic fuzzballs and and they're just sitting there floating and then i've noticed over time that coolness creeps up and then it goes down and it's not a washing machine effect it's like a a tide ocean tide Mm -hmm. type of effect and that spreading my and that typically goes on all morning until the sun hits a certain height in the sky and it is warming up the entire opposite side of the ridge that you're and then that's when the cycle starts so you have the the tide effect i call it and it just it's like raises and lowers and raises and lowers and instead of pushing it in the predominant wind direction it's just sucking out and going up based off of the the drainage or the terrain feature that you're you're sitting in and man it's it sucked i it took me three years to learn that and I finally had to hunt higher on the ridge out of this pinch point before I started getting good encounters in that area. It's because the deer were definitely smelling me uh, or smelling something that they didn't like, either higher than me or lower than me in that in that same drainage. So sometimes oh, you just cool. got to learn, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The experience and, yeah. and 
yeah, yeah. All right. So what is your what is your goal for this upcoming season? Like, if all things work out, do you, you know, if you could make your own realistic goal and accomplish it, what's that look like for you this year? Ooh, I would say push goal would be Dave or I, the guy I'm going uh, elk hunting with. We, sh- we And we're, full disclosure, we're, we're okay to shoot a cow. Um, we think we need to learn how to elk hunt by killing elk. Um, so that would be a, an awesome, uh, that, that would be the way to kick it off. And I would like to... with limited time off, I think I would like to kill, uh, I, I, I would really like to kill two bucks in a year. Yeah. I've been so close the last five where, uh, I've even hit two bucks or, or killed one and hit another. I've, uh, yeah, I don't think I've ever, yeah, I've never killed an out of state buck. So, so that would be a, a pretty good accomplishment for me. Um, I, I don't plan to go necessarily gung ho out of state until I fill my, my current tag here, just cause I've got the most knowledge and the most ability, um, here, but I would love to, to, whether it be in one of the neighboring States or I, I do have permission this year on an Illinois lease that that's really good. And, and so I would love to, to have a year where I'd kill two, two good bucks. Uh, inches wise is one thirty ish. Here's kind of my goal. And, after that, it kind of depends where I'm at. It, that, that that tends to flux a little bit. Yeah. So other than Ohio, do you have what other state? You know, so Ohio, Illinois, is that it for right now? Or in obviously Colorado, but any other states specifically for whitetail? Yeah, I mean, um, without saying too much, any one of my surrounding states, I've spent enough time in uh, West Virginia, Kentucky, Indiana. Um, so so any one of those three. I would go there and, and, and kind of similar, I'd probably be hunting public land there. So, so kind of that one thirty ish crowd. And I say this too, if he's 20 inches wide, he's going to die. So, yeah. so, so yeah, that's kind of my, my, my goal. Now I do think in Illinois, I kind of would like to hold out for more of the upper forties crowd. I think being that that property sits where it does in the state and it's a, it's a good property. Um, I think holding out for more of that upper forties is, is more what I want to do out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I hope it all, uh, I hope, uh, it all turns out for you. You know, I, I was, I was kind of thinking we were gonna, uh, have this like really high level conversation about just deer hunting in general, but we got pretty detailed into the wind game, uh, today. And I think that to be honest with you, access is very important. You know, it's probably one of the most important things, but when it comes to actually sitting in a tree and knowing where your scent is blowing, that might be once, once guys can figure that out, that might be the biggest game changer as far as a, not getting busted and B and be putting yourself in position to catch like the, the, the big dog, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Getting a, a good one in bow range. Uh, right. Pull, pull, pulling that final 10 seconds seconds is a, is a completely different game but how do you get there that is that is huge and we talked trail cams we talked scouting we talked process i mean it was it was good man. good conversation amen well i tell you what byron man with the kid at home uh you know good luck to you and your family congrats on that since the last time we talked if you guys haven't listened to the conversation um i had with byron on a previous episode do it it's really it's really detailed about how he killed uh, a buck a couple years ago and on top of that byron man good luck this upcoming season i wish you uh much success and i hope that uh, we can do it again absolutely dan you're one of the guys i really kind of look up to and and actually i don't know if i've told you this but your your kind of podcast when i found you on, on the various podcasts kind of pushed me to kind of go do my thing and and, and film my hunts and start producing and, and, and kind of get into this space at the level I've gotten into it at. So I definitely look up to you in many ways. And now it's funny to re-listen to some of those older episodes uh, where your kids are kind of more where I'm at. So Dan, I, I do owe you a little bit of a thank you there. 
And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another episode in the books. Huge shout out to Byron. Make sure that you go check out his YouTube channel. Make sure you're following him on the Whitetail Experience YouTube channel, the Whitetail Experience um, uh, Facebook and Instagram page. The guy's uh, passionate. He's good at what he does. And uh, he loves uh, stalking monsters on uh, on public land, man. So kudos to him. Huge shout out to each and every one of you who's taken time out of your day to, to listen. If you like the Nine Finger Chronicles, do me a big favor. And let's start a little social revolution here. And uh, let's start sharing some of the episodes that you're currently listening to. And let's get a, uh, let's get a, a little social club started. And I'll share whatever you tag me in. And, uh, and we'll go from there on that. What else? That's it, man. We, uh, we want to just send a huge shout out to the partners of this podcast. Wasp, Vortex, Hunt Stand, Ozonics, Lone Wolf, Exodus Trail Cameras, and Excalibur Crossbows, man. Please go out and support the companies. Uh, real solid companies. Great people. Great products. Um, and then at the end of the day, man, be a good person. When life gives you lemons... <laughs> make vodka lemonade and share it with your neighbor good vibes in good vibes out wear your safety harness and we'll talk to you next time